Welcome back to another episode of What Even Is This Place? I'm Ashley, and this is episode 21. And I'm going to just do a little mishmash. It's going to be a shorty episode today. Um, I'm tired. Just got back from a long field trip with my oldest daughter chaperoning a bunch of kids in a very noisy, overstimulating museum. Um, And I only have a short time to do this, but I wanted to stay on schedule and give out a Thursday episode, even if it is short. So let's get right into it. going to start off by giving a little preface of what Easter actually is according to pagan traditions. As you may or may not know, there's a lot of holidays that we celebrate in America that uh, do have a lot of pagan roots, which I find super interesting and I love it. If you don't know too much about paganism, it was mostly based on the cycles, the natural cycles of the earth, the moon, um, that kind of thing, which totally makes sense to me and resonates. Um, You'll find a lot of pagan traditions that have kind of morphed into Christianity. And when I was doing my research, that is because specifically for Easter, I don't know about other holidays, but there was this man, I forgot his name, I should have wrote it down. Um, He was kind of trying to trickle in Christianity with the pagan tradition so that pagans would feel more comfortable, I guess, in celebrating it the Christian way. So um, the the rebirth of, or excuse me, the rising of Jesus could be symbolism for the new energy, the new birth, the rebirth of the new energy of spring, which is what pagans celebrated Easter as um, just new beginnings, new cycles, um, new life. And that's why the egg is a symbolism of Easter, because the egg in pagan tradition represents new life and rebirth. Um, as far as the bunny goes, there is the goddess Easter, I believe it's how you pronounce it. She was, some, her symbol was a hare. She was known to be a hare or a rabbit in pagan um, legends and, and uh, writings. So there's a little bit of that if you didn't know that. But now we're going to get into something a little darker. So as I was researching I came across this article by Forbes, and the name of it is called Norway's Weird 100-Year-Old Easter Tradition of Crime Fiction. So that's right up my alley. Um, So binging on crime fiction may not be your first choice of Easter activity, but it's high on the list of Norwegians, article writes. Crime fiction at Easter. Hundreds of thousands of Norwegians indulge in crime fiction novels in Nordic Nora TV and film every Easter. Known as Easter crime, the tradition is just well known within Norway as it is confusing to visitors. So that's kind of interesting. Like we do that on a daily basis. Most women specifically in America, um, me being one of them, (laughs) do this every day or multiple times a week. Sorry, my kid was screaming outside and made them go outside. Um, The origins of Easter's obsession with crime. You might expect the nation's obsession with crime fiction at Easter to be the result of a modern marketing campaign, but the origins of Pascha Grimm go back almost 100 years. 
1923, publisher Glennendahl took out a front-page newspaper advertising promoting a new crime novel based on a train robbery on Norway's famous Bergen Line. So many people mistook the ad for a real story that the book succeeded beyond all expectations when the truth became known. And ever since then, crime stories have been a feature of Easter. So very interesting. Another article goes on to say that mm, it stems from the backstory of Easter itself, which I think we're all familiar with when God sent the angel of death to kill the firstborn sons of the ancient Egyptians. Oops, my hair is all up in my mic. Sorry about that. Where was I? Uh, so they smeared blood on the houses and saved Israelite families. Later, the criminal case or punishment and death of a religious rebel, Jesus of Nazareth, gave Easter the additional meaning, which is something I think we're all familiar with. So it kind of blends together Christianity, um, Easter itself. I mean, it's interesting that the Norwegian, they celebrate it for 10 days. So very interesting how... All around the world, there are different ways that every country and religion um, kind of has their own way of celebrating it. But overall, it comes back to pagan roots and then blends it with Christianity. Now, I don't know if you guys have heard of this, but there is this really famous murder that happened on Easter. Um, it was a man who killed his entire family. Um, let's see. And it's referred to as the Easter Sunday massacre, James Rupert. So it occurred on March 30th, 1975, when 41 year old James U. Rupert fatally shot 11 of his own family members in his mother house at 635 Minor Avenue. <laughs> Why did I say Avenue <laughs> Avenue in Hamilton, Ohio? Rupert was tried and found guilty on two counts of aggravated, mur aggravated murder, but not guilty on other nine counts by reason of insanity, which, how did that work? How does that work? He's not guilty because of insanity on nine counts, but two counts he was sane. That's super interesting. I might have to dig deeper into that. I would like to see the court transcripts and the notes of how they came to that conclusion. That just doesn't make any sense to me. He received two life sentences to be served consecutively at Allen Correctional Institution in Lima, Ohio, and the Southern Ohio Correctional Facility in Lucasville, Ohio. On July 25, 1982, a three-judge panel found Rupert guilty of aggravated murder on separate cases involving his mother and brother, but shortly afterward, he was found not guilty on nine counts by reason of insanity. He was then moved, so after he served, I think... He served his time for those, and then they, the first two that he was found guilty, and then was moved to Franklin Medical Center in Columbus, Ohio. In 2019, because of his declining health, James Rupert died from natural causes on June 4, 2022, while incarcerated at the Franklin Medical Center in Columbus, Ohio. So, a little background story on James Urban Rupert. He was reported to have troubled youth and well up into his teens his mother charity had told him that she would have preferred to have a daughter as a second child and telling that to a child will more than likely create a sociopath psychopath um his father leonard was also not very great he had a violent temper and had little affection for his two sons 
Leonard died in 1947 when James and his brother Leonard Jr. were aged 12 and 14. So that's rough, losing a parent at that age. I can definitely relate, even if they're not the best. Leonard Jr. became the father figure of the family and constantly picked on James during their upbringing. So he bullied him, taunted him, called him things like being a weakling and a sissy, things like that. So at 16, James was so dissatisfied with his home life that he ran away and attempted to commit suicide by hanging himself with a sheet. He was unsuccessful and returned home, and it seems like that was kind of swept under the rug, and his mother didn't really do much to address his issues that were apparent. Uh, As an adult, he was about 5'6 and weighed 135 pounds, so he kind of had some insecurity issues and continued to be kind of picked on by peers and other men um, around him. He was described as modest, bookish, and a helpful man who was unremarkable and quiet, which, (laughs) who said that? They called him unremarkable, like, God, no wonder. I mean, I'm not excusing it. There's a lot of people who have been bullied who don't grow up to kill people, but I mean, shit, you can kind of see this as the psychopathy. I know the word, but it's not coming out. It's been a long day. Psychopathy. (laughs) I don't even. Why do I even? Okay. Anyways, you get what I'm saying. It's interesting. Brains. Humans' brains. Interesting. In addition, um, he had no police record. Like, he was pretty much a quiet, just, those are the scary ones, to be honest. Just kept to himself, quiet kind of guy. So by 1975, Rupert was envious of his older brother. He had a very successful job and family, and that just wasn't him. So he tried that life. He had tried to measure up in some way and try to be as, quote unquote, good as his older brother. He ended up dropping out of college after two years and trained trained as a draftsman, um, which I don't really know what that is. I should have looked that up. Although by 1975, he was unemployed, unmarried, and he was still living at home with his mom, who, remember, treated him like shit. So I can only imagine that that probably continued throughout their relationship. In contrast, his older brother, Leonard Jr., had earned a degree in electrical engineering, had married one of the few girlfriends James ever had. Um, So that sucks. I mean, that probably pissed him off, I would imagine. He only had a couple of girlfriends and his freaking older brother, who's better, quote unquote, in all ways, married her. He owned his own home, blah, blah, blah. He went on to have eight children, which made James feel even more inferior. So you can kind of see how this, um, again, not excusing it, but was ground for kind of a toxic ass, angry little man who should have gotten help. Um, Charity was frustrated with James' inability to hold a steady job, and he was constantly drinking. He was known to be an alcoholic. She had threatened to evict him from her home more than one occasion, and James also owed his mother and brother a lot of money. Having lost what what little cash he did have in the stock market crash, I think that was in 1973, I believe. So, What led up to the massacre? About a month before the massacre, James inquired about silencers for his weapons while purchasing ammunition. His behavior deteriorated, caused by a deep depression as he neared the breaking point. So on March 29, 1975, it was his birthday, happened to be his 41st birthday. 
Witnesses seen him engaging in target practice, shooting tin cans with his 22 pistol and 22 rifle along the banks of the Great Miami River in Hamilton. So clearly premeditated. Again, I don't understand the insanity plea. The night before the murders, James went out as he did nearly every night at the 19th Hole Cocktail Lounge. He talked with an employee, 28-year-old Wanda Bishop. She would later state that James told her he was frustrated with his mother's demands on him and his impending eviction and that he needed to, quote, solve the problem. I see and hear this so much in cases of people not alerting police. I mean, at least according to records, um, they either think that they're joking or they just kind of brush it off or maybe they just are afraid to get involved. But Nonetheless, that's that's kind of a theme I see, like, speak up. If so, no one just casually throws around the idea of murdering somebody, like, I'm sorry, but if you ever told me that, I mean, I'm not sorry, if anybody ever casually said that about somebody, I would call them motherfucking cops, you know what I'm saying? Very weird. I wonder how many things could have been prevented if people did, you know, Um, I don't want to say do the right thing because I guess there's a lot of reasons that they didn't. But I mean, yeah, the right thing to do if someone's talking about murder or insinuating murder, um, you should tell somebody. So when Bishop asked him if he had solved the problem later on, he replied, no, not yet. Okay, so again, she (laughs) obviously knows what's up. I don't understand this Bishop woman. Uh, James stayed at the bar until closing time around 2.30 a.m. So the morning of the massacre, it was Easter Sunday, March 30th, 1975. Rupert's brother, Leonard Jr., and his wife, Alma, brought their eight children, ranging in age 4 to 17, and my teeth are gritting right now because you guys already know what's about to happen, for Easter dinner at their house located at 635 Minor Avenue. Rupert stayed upstairs sleeping off a night from drinking so he's hungover he feels like shit he's kind of already alienated himself from the family anyways so no one really thinks it's a big deal um the other family members just kept on they participated in the easter egg hunt on the front lawn at around 4 p.m james woke up he loaded a 357 magnum two 22 caliber handguns a rifle and went downstairs Charity was preparing sloppy joes in the kitchen. That sounds really good. I'm hungry. In the company of Leonard Jr. and Alma, most of the children were playing in the living room. He killed Leonard Jr. when he shot him in the head in the kitchen. So can you just fucking imagine this, dude? Like, ugh. Then his sister-in-law, Alma, when he shot her, then his mother lunged at him. He shot her once in the head and twice in the chest. David, 11, Teresa, 9, and Carol, 13, were also later killed by him. James turned the corner into the living room and one by one shot his remaining nieces and nephews. Anne, 12, Leonard, the third, 17, Michael, 16, Thomas, age 15, and John, 4. Like, ugh, it was so heartbreaking. Charity had been shot once in the chest. The remaining victims were shot in the head and shot again to ensure they had died. So this is what I consider overkill. Maybe other people wouldn't, but if you shoot somebody and then shoot them again, once they're clearly dead, I mean, what the fuck? The only sign of a struggle at the crime scene was one overturned waste paper bin. The butler, Count Butler, maybe it's Butler, who cares? Butler, Butler 
County coroner theorized that Rupert had likely shot some victims more than once to prevent anybody from escaping. The massacre was over in less than two minutes. After spending three hours in the house, James finally called police and said, calmly, there's been a shooting. He waited just inside the front door until authorities arrived. Whew, I gotta take a deep breath, okay? So, the murders, it shocked the whole town of Hamilton, of course. Like, that is a, that is a legit massacre. Those who knew James did not think he was capable of violence, which I feel like everyone always says that. You just never fucking know. Like, and I feel like there was a lot of signs that this man needed help. Um, I forget where I heard it, but I heard it on some podcast recently, and it made a lot of sense that it seems like with these killers that kind of snap or serial killers, one thing that they all have in common is they just want to be heard. And it gets to the point when, you know, they don't have support or whatever may be. Of course, there's so many different factors in every situation. Um, in the times too, you know, it was different times back then, back then, but they just want to be heard. And unfortunately, I mean, we're all human beings. Um, this kind of darkness and evil just will fester inside of people who have, I mean, anybody is capable of murder. If you think about it, it's just, again, the right, um, formula, I guess is the, is the closest word I can think of, but so, by all accounts, neighbors considered the Ruperts a nice family. James was arrested and charged that day with 11 counts of aggra- aggravated homicide. And as you know, um, he refused to answer questions. He was uncooper- uncooperative, and he made it clear that he would plead insanity. So, this was, what did I say, the 70s-ish, 80s? It was a different time, as we know, for um, court and homicide and all the detectives. We've came a long way. All right. So all the 11 victims were buried in Arlington Memorial Gardens in Cincinnati, Ohio. A year later, the house was open to the public and all of its contents were auctioned off, which is horrific. I can't imagine the energy going into that house. It was then clean, recarpeted, and rented to a new family in the area whose members were unaware of the murders that have taken place. The new family later left, claiming they were hearing voices and other unexplained noises. So in a lot of, you may not know this, um, in a lot of, or you may, in a lot of different, there's different laws about renting or selling homes to people about disclosures. I think in California, you do have to disclose if there's been a murder. Um, there's certain clauses. I think it's different for every state. So apparently, I guess in this time, um, you know what? Probably back in this time, nobody had to disclose that information, which is super fucked. Um, whether it's haunted or not, like you want to know if a massacre occurred in your in your house. Energy is energy, you know. Um, so the criminal proceedings, we know that. Okay, so he received 11 consecutive sentences um, in July of 1975. He did file for an appeal. A new trial was granted in 1992. His defense attorney, Hugh D. Holbrook, convinced his client, convinced that his client was insane, personally funded the hiring of expert psychiatrists and psychologists from all over the country, which that's interesting. 
Um, I haven't heard of a attorney doing that for a client. On July 23rd, 1982, another three-judge panel found Rupert guilty on two counts, first his mother and brother, but not guilty on the other nine counts. He received, again, they don't go into detail. I haven't found any details about why they came to that conclusion. Um, like I said earlier, he served consecutively his sentences. Because capital punishment had been suspended in the United States from 1972 to 1976 as a result of the Supreme Court's decision uh, via Furman versus Georgia. Georgia, Georgia, okay. The mass murders on Minor Avenue had occurred in 1975 and Rupert could not receive the death penalty for his crimes, which I am torn on the death penalty. Again, there's so many variables. Um, I think different... It can't be black and white, in my opinion, when it comes to the death penalty. There are times when I'm like, fuck yeah, death penalty, because there's no, um, what's the word I'm looking for, reintegrating somebody back into society when, just depending on the crime, sometimes, no, like we don't want people to be rehabilitated. That's the word I was looking for. Um, and then there's times where I don't think the death penalty was necessary. I mean, it's just... That whole thought in itself always baffles me because there's so many variables. I know I keep saying that, but each case is different. Everybody has a different brain. Everyone has a different upbringing. It's just really hard to decide, you know, who are we to decide um, if someone should die or not. But I mean, sometimes there's just fucking evil in people that you cannot put out um, with no amount of counseling or rehabilitation. That's just my personal opinion. On June 4th, 2022, Rupert died at the age of 88. So that is my little spiel on one of the most horrific Easter murders that happened in the United States. And with that being said, I'm going to hop off here because I'm exhausted I hope you guys have a wonderful rest of your week and a, an amazing family-filled um, whatever you celebrate, however you celebrate Easter. Just make memories with your kiddos and just uh, remember the important things. It's not about buying giant Easter baskets. Um, that's another thing I didn't really touch on, but we all know how corporate America kind of turns these holidays into um, a financial gain but I try to focus a lot more on just creating memories with my kids and it doesn't have to be this extravagant gathering um keep it what it's meant to be about what Jesus would want it to be about and eat your chocolate bunnies and enjoy yourself and you know tell your loved ones you love them near or far just uh, make space for everybody that you love and I will catch you next Thursday. I'm working on something really exciting. It's a well-known true crime case, but I'm coming at it from a little bit of a different angle. And I've been working on it for the last week or two. I'm reading a book on it. So hopefully I'll be done by next Thursday. And I hope you guys find it as interesting as I did. Alrighty, I'm now rambling. So I'm going to go ahead and hop off here. Love, love, love you sending you so much gratitude and I will see you next week. Goodbye.